Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance and the editor of MuniNetworks.org. For the ninth episode of our show, we are excited to discuss a new model in building a community fiber network. The East Central Vermont Fiber Network is bootstrapping their own network, funding the effort with money raised within the community. This is a unique and fascinating example of how rural towns can pull together and solve their own problems locally. Leslie Nolte is the project coordinator for EC Fiber. She will walk us through some of their history and how they are financing their fiber network. I've known some of the people working on this project for many years and have long appreciated their transparency and willingness to share the proverbial secret sauce with anyone who asks. Here is my interview with Leslie. Leslie, thank you for joining us on the Community Broadband Bits podcast. We're excited to learn more about Vermont. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're involved with a a project commonly called EC Fiber. Can you tell me about that project? The full name is actually East Central Vermont Community Fiber Optic Network. Uh, The name sort of puts us on the map. We're pretty much uh, in the center of Vermont. Um, For those who know the geography, the Green Mountains run north-south. It's a ridge through the center of the state. And we're on the east side um, and encompass 23 towns between uh, the uh, slope, the eastern slope of the Green Mountains over to the Connecticut River, which is the border with New Hampshire. Um, we are organized as a legal municipality through something called an interlocal contract which is simply an agreement that has been signed uh, after a town-wide vote uh, by every one of the 23 member towns. You're in a contiguous area, right? The way towns work in that part of the country, it's it's like um, it's uh, they're all connected and you're not leaving anyone behind. Right. I, I should explain that in Vermont, while we have counties, they don't really have um, a governmental uh, purpose. Every square inch of Vermont is is designated as being part of a town and you could stand in the middle of some of these towns, and all you'd see is a lot of trees. Um, so the the state is essentially divided up into squares, each one of which is called a town. Now, some of our member towns have dense village centers uh, that would be recognized as a town anywhere. Um, and one of our members is actually the state capital, Montpelier, which... Uh, with only 7,000 residents, is the only state capital in the country without scheduled air service. (laughs) So um, this is, Vermont is, I think, now designated the second most rural state uh, in the United States, and we are, we encompass one of the most rural areas of uh, the state of Vermont. Every town is governed by uh, a essentially a town council, except for the city of Montpelier, which is called a select board. In Montpelier, the city of Montpelier is called a city council. 
And the select boards are elected by the residents of the town. And they have appointed a delegate and at least one alternate to the EC Fiber Governing Board. The EC Fiber Governing Board meets monthly under Vermont. We have an open meeting law. These meetings are open to anyone in the public. And uh, delegates and alternates uh, attend. The, the Governing Board has adopted a set of bylaws. It has it elects an executive committee, which is the chair, vice chair, secretary, treasurer, and three at-large members who are elected on rotating three-year terms. And the executive committee meets in between the monthly governing board meetings almost every week by conference call. And this structure has endured since 2008, really, which was the founding year of the organization. So you started in 2008, and uh, what was your original plan? Well, the original plan was to try to build out the entire area, which encompasses something like 1,200 square miles, uh, 55,000 people, 22,000 premises, to build it out all at once. And we retained Oppenheimer and Company to offer certificates of participation in the capital lease in the uh, public capital markets. Uh, This was an SEC-compliant public offering. Oppenheimer told us that once they had signed up commitments for 80% of the required financing, they would take the remainder. At the governing board meeting, which I believe it was September 7, 2008, uh, they told us they had raised 70% of the required financing, which was a $90 million financing because Uh, All kinds of debt service reserve uh, funds were required. So there were all kinds of layers, not to mention Oppenheimer's fees and the legal fees, which were on the order of half a million dollars or something. And um, so they said they had 70% and they figured it was a done deal. And um, uh, one of our folks stood up at the meeting and said, the only thing that can stop us now is an international financial meltdown. And guess what? (laughs) One week later, that's what we got. I hope that person has and, stopped um, making suggestions. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, he still <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, so that was the end of that. And so it was back to the drawing board. You said build out, and I don't think we've yet touched on, but you're going to be building a fiber to the home network, and you've actually indeed, we'll get to this, you've started. Right. We are committed to a fiber optic solution. Right because we believe it's the only sustainable solution for the kind of connectivity that sustainable communities and sustainable economies will require going forward as far as we can see into the future. So that is our commitment and our mission. And our mission is to have a universal network that is also open access so that we reach every single from every business, every civic institution, every household uh, throughout this very rural area. Right. Okay. So the economy collapses, and uh, what do you do next? Well, the economy collapses, and then the Obama administration uh, creates the ARRA program uh, through the Rural Utility Service, 
and we submitted two different applications for stimulus funding, none of which was given to us. It was given to other Vermont applicants. Uh, we had we found ourselves in a competitive situation. We were a startup, uh, and the other applicants were operating businesses. So we were frozen out of stimulus funding. I'm proud to say that applicants who received money to build outside their existing network footprint have not yet connected one customer. We now have 225 lighted customers. And you don't have to deal with federal paperwork or all the other uh, not issues that all. come along with it. So after, after uh, we got turned down, and we also submitted several applications for grant funds available through the state of Vermont. We would turn down for those, I think, probably for the same reasons. Well, meaning that we were a startup, that we were unproven. You know, it's, it's just like going to a bank. The people who need money can never get a loan. <laughs> the people who have money can get right. a loan. We try to be philosophical about it, and we decided to do a bootstrap effort. In 2010, we decided to basically issue unsecured promissory notes that would, where we would raise funds um, from local investors. And we started out, um, and our first closing, um, we raised 175000 from local investors. But we had some very large investors who were willing to essentially provide seed financing uh, to the tune of an additional 750000 And that 900 something thousand enabled us to start building our phase one loop with approximately 26 miles through um, an area of the town of, well, three towns, our loop. Phase one route, which is on our website, ecfiber.net, um, went through the bits of uh, Royalton, Bethel, and Barnard. And the town of Barnard, Vermont, uh, was a place where almost everyone's been on dialogue. And the way we picked Barnard was that when we were organized in 2008, we wanted to test what the actual um, appetite was for high-speed broadband, and we had a pre-registration campaign, which was organized and conducted by the delegates to the governing board. And the governing board adopted, adopted a policy that when and if we started to build, we would build first in whatever towns came up with the highest pre-registration rate. Mm -hmm. We had a very active uh, delegate from the town of Barnard who managed to pre-subscribe 92% of the residents of that town. Wow. So we knew we had to build <laughs> Barnard, how to start our building. Right. And when you started, the original plan, I believe, was to offer uh, television, telephone, and access to the Internet, right? And then you scaled that back a little bit when you began the, began the bootstrapping. Yes. When the uh, uh, COPS offering, the public offering, failed, uh, we knew we had to skinny down the network uh, in terms of engineering design, 
and we had to drop um, the idea of video. And by that time, we began to see that people were beginning to get video um, over the the internet in any event. So we just offer uh, internet, and a um, we resell a uh, VoIP uh, telephone service. Our internet cost is high because this volume pricing on access to the cloud, and we have a very small subscriber base right mm-hmm. now. So internet alone is very expensive, but telephone service in Vermont is expensive because a lot of in-state calls are treated as long-distance calls. So when we can offer a a telephone service that has unlimited long-distance calling in the U.S., that is extremely valuable and cost-effective to people here. And so we have about an excess of I believe 50% of our subscribers um, are taking both internet and phone. We now offer three tiers. Uh, When we started out, three tiers of internet, we started out with um, 5, 7, and 10 megabits per second. And uh, this spring, we changed that to 5, 10, and 20. We're expanding our customer base uh, at a nice clip, and there was appetite for that. And um, so that's that's our offering right now, and uh, it happens to be one of the best uh, in Vermont. What is your um, financing mechanism precisely? You've, maybe you can just walk us through the latest round, which just closed, how it works. We basically issue a piece of paper, which is a promissory note, which says we will pay you principal and tax-exempt interest. Now, that's important because we're a municipality. Our interest is tax-exempt at state and federal uh, levels. And we will pay you, the note has a face value of 7% tax-exempt interest, paid back uh, P&I over 15 years. Now, we ask for a one-year holiday because it takes us a year because before we have a revenue stream from the infrastructure that we build with the promissory note. Um, and so that comes out at an effective interest rate of 6%. We offer these units in, we offer the notes in units of 2,500. People can buy as many as they wish. The median, so half of our investors have invested $5,000 or less. Okay. So we have many, many small investors and then we have some larger investors. We, we have found that the most effective way to do this, and this has all been by trial and error, is that once people see their neighbors getting the service or seeing our trucks on the road, they get all excited and said, what's it going to take for you to get to me? Mm-hmm. And we say, well, it costs us on average in the neighborhood of $25,000 to build a mile and connect six customers along that mile. We need six per mile to make this work financially, six customers per mile to make this work financially. So what some people don't understand is this arithmetic. You can build in a sparsely populated area that only has six premises per mile if all six will subscribe. Or you can build where there's 18 per mile and only get a 30% tax 
say, great, and you're still okay. While in the industry, there's a lot of discussion about quote-unquote take rates, we've decided that that is really not the useful metric for us. What we need to look at is subscribers per mile, irrespective of what the density might right. be. And I should add, in, in our region, for whatever averages there were, that if you take out the larger towns, which have denser town centers, the typical uh, density is somewhere at 12 to 14 premises per mile. You know, and we we estimate right now in the in the rural areas where we've built, because we have to go through a town center uh, in order to get to Barnard, and that town center is served by both DSL and Comcast, mm -hmm. and we don't market there, but there's a couple of miles we have to get through. But once we're through there, um, we estimate our take rate is in excess of 70%. That's, um, that's sort of at odds with what we're told by uh, Washington, D.C. policymakers policy and what many people in state capitals seem to believe, which is that the only thing lacking in rural areas is a, is a willingness or an understanding of why broadband's important. That's not been your experience. There, there was a, a wonderful... Um, wonderful little piece many years ago that unfortunately we, we don't have the footage that Vermont Public Television did interviewing a typical Vermont rural business and this is typical of any American rural business which is a guy who repairs small engines like chainsaws or tillers or um, lawn tractors and that sort of right. thing. This is such a, a typical rural business, if you will. And this guy was saying, I can't do my business without high-speed connectivity because I cannot get exploded diagrams on paper anymore. Everything is online. I can't order parts unless I have an exploded diagram. And I'm dealing with hundreds of different kinds of machines. And everything is only available on the web. You know, he can be sitting there for hours and time out before he can get through. Now, now what happens is that people, people for whom connectivity is vital sign up for satellite connectivity. And it drives them nuts. It's very expensive. It's unreliable. If you live in a place like Vermont where you have severe winter weather, you're satellite connection is out half the time. You cannot run a business that way. And that's at the most simple level of a typical rural business. What we have found in our limited build so far is a much higher proportion of business subscribers than our business plan ever expected. We are finding that there are graphic artists, videographers, uh, medical practitioners who need to do professional um, training online, um, a whole host of um, use, you know, business economic uses and applications. And even leaving that aside, uh, when we just started to build, we were getting emails from people saying, please, please get to me soon. My middle school children cannot do their homework 
without adequate access to the Internet. So you find that there's a lot of people that have a desire. They just don't have a good option. Exactly. And you out there are dealing primarily with, uh, I think, really degraded copper lines and, and Fairpoint primarily, right? Correct, yeah. Well, you know, Vermont was viewed as a uh, backwater by uh, the the big guys. You know, they they always, you know, they skim the cream, and uh, we don't, uh, we're not viewed that way, despite our high-quality dairy business. <laughs> um, even under 9X, uh, which then gave birth to Verizon, which then gave birth to Fairpoint, None of them have maintained their copper wires, and there are areas of our territory where people do not have reliable phone service simply because of the degraded copper. Well, let me ask you as a final question, what would you recommend to someone who's in another part of the country and and wants to try and do something along these lines? What's a good first step for them? Well, I will tell you that we have had many people come to us uh, to see what we're doing and um, talk to us on the phone and even visit us um, to to see how we've done and, and what we do. And we are always happy to, um, to talk to people about our experience, and, and we continue to do that. I would say one of the most important things that has sustained EC Fiber has been our strong governance structure. Uh, in which uh, we are embedded in the community and we are seen to be embedded in the community. And so we don't even have to have a marketing budget because people already know our brand. They know who we are. They know who their delegates to the governing board are, board is. And, and the way we got kicked off, and I should you know, roll the video back to November 07, which was the early organizing, was um, there had been broadband committees in a handful of these towns and in those areas out there in the rest of the country where there are broadband committees, and I want to underscore committees, groups of people who are trying to get something done in their community. Um, They then came together. They just put out a call you know, by word of mouth, come and help us get organized. And we had a community meeting, uh, something over 100 people showed up, and we broke up into little brainstorming groups um, that, you know, one was charged with outreach, one was charged with doing legal research, one was charged with trying to figure out a financing plan. And everybody came out, you know, and from this process uh, emerged this governance structure and this um, uh, trajectory uh, for building an organization. I know that there are places where people have tried to jump in um, to initiate a, a, um, a broadband um, effort without doing this work first. And I think that makes everything that much harder. So I would put a lot of emphasis into that that early organizing. Is there anything else that, that we should know about EC Fiber before we end the discussion? When we had to apply, when we were applying for stimulus money, we found that our interlocal contract, which, by the way, has a... Um, 
it has a, there are similar kinds of uh, legal entities in other states that permit that kind of agreement between municipalities. Uh, we found that it was not legally strong enough to do the application and the legal work involved with getting a government grant. And so the interlocal contract created a wholly owned subsidiary that is a, a limited liability company, an LLC. Okay. And it's the LLC that issues the promissory note. Separately, the interlocal contract of 23 towns is an awkward entity for running a fiber optic network. I mean, 23 towns in the middle of Vermont, where do they find the technical capacity to build, to design, build, and run a fiber optic network? Mm -hmm. Well, we were very fortunate here in that in the early 90s, a group of Dartmouth College alumni had formed a nonprofit known as ValleyNet that brought dial-up service to what's called the Upper Connecticut Valley. And ValleyNet um, is a 501c3 with a bunch of, uh, with a board that had some technical uh, capacity to it, a technical experience. When IS, when dial-up became a commodity, ValleyNet sold that business to a for-profit company known as SovereignNet. And so ValleyNet had been sitting on a bunch of money trying to figure out what it would do next to fulfill its mission of community building through communication. And ValleyNet was able to lend some of that seed money to EC Fiber. And ValleyNet and EC Fiber now have a design, build, operate contract such that ValleyNet is actually the operator of the network. So you're taking advantage of some expertise that's uh, been there for quite some time. Yes, we were fortunate in that, but there was also, we have found uh, that we, we have not had a problem um, finding competent staff as we have grown. Um, we find that uh, people like the concept of what we're doing. In Vermont, people like to work for community organizations. That means we don't have to pay top dollar because we offer a nicer work experience and a more rewarding work experience in terms of relationship to the local community, which in the culture here is, a, is of great value. That's, uh, that's probably true in some of the other rural areas as well, where people have made a choice to live there rather than um, moving to someplace where they may just get the highest salary. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining uh, the background of EC Fiber and how you're moving forward. I hope that other communities will be able to, to take some nuggets away from there and, and figure out how they can build their own networks. I'd like to emphasize that we are always happy to help um, other people that are interested in doing something similar, and they can contact us at info at ecfiber.net. Thank you so much, Chris. Sure, thank you. That was Leslie Nolte, the project coordinator for the East Central Fiber Network in Vermont. To learn more, visit our show page on muninetworks.org where we have links to some of the materials discussed in the show. If you have any questions or comments, please tell us directly. 
Email podcast at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at communitynets. This show was released on August 21st, 2012. Thanks to my colleague Lisa Gonzalez for putting the show together and fit in the conniptions for the music, licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Storms Over. Storms Over now. I'm on my way.